Thank you for listening to this audio resource from Sovereign Hope Church. For those who haven't yet heard, we've finally made our move into our new home in central Missoula. We'd love to see you Sunday mornings at 2010 3rd Avenue West and hope you're blessed by this online resource. It's an honor and a privilege to look at God's word today and to hold it up high. That being said, today we are going to tackle what might be one of the hardest things for us to do, to forgive people. You may feel a tension kind of coursing through your body already of bitterness as you think of someone who has hurt you over the years and saying, but I don't want to forgive them. You don't understand what they did to me. Justice hasn't been served yet. Think through your family tree when you're thinking of forgiving people. Maybe it's a a mother that was overbearing or harsh. Maybe it was a father that was abusive or flat out absent. I'm sure there is some hurt you've encountered over the years because there isn't a single family tree in the Bible that was clean, that was without dysfunction at times. Even Jesus's family unit has seasons of pain and discord. So as we kind of start to work into this today, I want you to think, who do you need to forgive in your life? Maybe it is a friend who wounded you with their backstabbing. Maybe it is a coworker or a boss who just continues to mistreat you. Maybe it is a neighbor whose small dog continues to poop in your front lawn. Too specific? Maybe that one's just for me. Maybe the person you need to forgive is someone you haven't seen in years, and yet you're still carrying that wound today. Maybe you need to forgive someone who has already passed away. We're going to talk about that more in just a little bit, but if you're sitting here this morning wondering, who do I need to forgive in my life? I want you to pay attention to the imaginary conversations you're having throughout the week, the people you are talking to in your head throughout the day or when you're lying in bed at night, those are likely the people you need to forgive. Today, we want to learn how to let go of the shackles that are holding us hostage from some of the hurt we have endured in our lives. If we can do that, I fully believe 2022 may look a lot healthier for our hearts, our minds, and our souls. The main point today is pretty straightforward. Why should we forgive people? Because forgiven people forgive people. If you're a note taker, that's your, that's your main point today. Forgiven people forgive people. As Stephen read Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35, I'm going to be working through it kind of verse by verse here as we excavate what God has really laid out for us. So let's jump on into it. Verse 21. This is a a conversation where uh, the disciples are talking to Jesus and and trying to understand uh, when people hurt us, what should we do? How do we forgive them? How often should we be doing that? And check out our friend Peter. Then Peter came up and said to him, said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? 
And he's throwing that out there like it's a lofty number. Within Judaism in that day, three times was said to be enough to show a forgiving spirit. So in this moment, Peter is thinking to himself, I'm a pretty generous guy. A little extra credit with Jesus, seven, that's, that's higher than three, right? Verse 22, what does Jesus say to him? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times. But he ramps it up exponentially, 77 times. And Jesus is saying that you need to forgive so much that you cannot keep count. This number he throws out isn't a hard cap number. It's a number that is hard to keep track of, hard to fathom. And look closely in here at what Jesus doesn't say because I think this is key for us today. Jesus doesn't say, forgive him or her as often as they apologize. He doesn't say, forgive them as often as they fully admit to everything that they did to you. Then you can forgive them. It doesn't say that. Think about Jesus being heckled, spit on, enduring the cross. And what does he say when he's hanging on the cross to those people? Father, forgive them if they fully admit what they're doing to me. He doesn't say that. Father, forgive them if they fully understand how much they are hurting me. He doesn't say that. Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In this moment, Jesus is demonstrating to the onlookers what loving your enemies looks like. So when it comes to forgiveness, our responsibility is not getting someone else's heart right. Sometimes I think we think that. We kind of confuse forgiveness of trying to fix them so that they don't hurt anybody else. In June of 2014, uh, I was mowing my lawn and I got a phone call and it was from my mother in Minneapolis. My father had just had cardiac arrest and within about an hour, we realized it was pretty serious. And within about an hour, we packed up our minivan and drove then our two-year-old son through the night to Minneapolis to be there because we knew the end was drawing near. And I got there to the hospital. My dad at the time was 69. And I walked in there and the doctor said, he's on life support, but it's, it's really just artificial life support because we're just kind of artificially keeping his heart pumping until you got here. That there was no way that they could take him off that and he would be able to live and function. And as I got there and I looked at my father, who had 10 different IVs pumping into his body, his body was bloated from the amount of liquid they were putting into him, I knew one thing that I had to do in that moment. He was not a spiritual mentor for me. He was not a believer. And because I did not have a father who was a spiritual mentor, from age 18 to 26, I was the prodigal son. I went wild, off the cliff, and played with fire a lot, and could have gotten burned, 
probably should have been burned. And yet in that moment, as I'm many years removed from the prodigal son years, I knew that I needed to forgive my father for not being a spiritual mentor, for not investing in me as a young man and teaching me how to pursue the Lord. Because I knew that if I held on to that bitterness, it was going to hurt me in the long run. And so I took my dad's hand on the bedside, and I don't know if he could hear me or not. He didn't ask for forgiveness, but I gave it to him. And I said, I, I forgive you for not discipling me. And I tell that story because I think we kind of get caught up in this idea of I can only forgive somebody if they apologize or if they ask for forgiveness. And yet, we don't see that in the Bible. And so, these first couple of verses, Jesus is talking about how often we need to be forgiving and that forgiven people forgive people. But why? And that's where this parable comes in. Any good teacher, any good mentor, any good boss, any good parent will explain the reason why. When they give you something to do, giving the why helps people to understand and wrap their heads around, oh, I can actually take ownership of this. This is why I'm doing this hard thing because I know the good that it comes from or the reason behind it. And so in this moment, Jesus wants to give the why because without the why, it's hard to cultivate obedience. Jesus wants to give Peter an illustration as to why he should be forgiving others on a regular basis. So let's hit verse 23. He says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When things in life are unsettled, we know it creates stress. When things in life are settled, it creates peace. We can take a deep breath. Conflicts and hurts in this life are the same. Without a forgiving heart, your soul will never be settled. You may have heard the Christian cliche that bitterness is drinking the poison yourself, expecting the other person to get sick. There's a lot of truth in that. Because when you are stuck as a hurt person that is unable to forgive, what do hurt people do? Hurt people hurt other people. It's a domino effect. Verse 24, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. You're saying to yourself, what does that mean? That's a monetary figure. So one talent was 20 years wages. So imagine working for 20 years and that was worth one talent. What this guy owes is 10,000 times that. 10,000 talents. He owed him a debt that would take him 200,000 years in order to pay off. It is a monetary figure that is incalculable. This debt, with our massive inflation today, this monetary figure would be about $10 billion. Impossible to ever pay this off. Verse 25, and since he could not pay, clearly, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. This moment, this is the worst day of this guy's life. 
He's ordered to be sold into slavery because he can't pay the debt. And it's not just him being punished, but his wife is potentially being sold into slavery as well as all of his children. Think about watching your kids being taken into slavery because of a debt that you couldn't pay. And what does this guy do? Verse 26, so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, which means to make a desperate appeal. Have patience with me and I will pay you everything. As a man, you probably think to yourself in this moment, I only get on the floor to beg when I have absolutely zero bargaining power. No other options but to beg for mercy. And that's where this guy is in this moment. He has no other choice. He's basically asking for a miracle. Helpless, begging, groveling, please, please, please have patience with me. Give me just another chance. Verse 27, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. In that moment, the king felt compassion for him. The king didn't have to wipe away that debt. And in all fairness, he probably should have made him pay up. That's what he owed. That would have been justice in the eyes of many. At this point of the story, you're maybe thinking, this is going to radically change this guy's life. A $10 billion debt just wiped away, right? You would think, man, I am going to live differently the rest of my life after seeing that type of generosity. Verse 28, how soon he forgets. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So this 100 denarii, it's... Still a pretty good chunk of money, about $12,000 in that day, but compared to the 10 billion that he was just forgiven, this is chump change. This is 0.0002% of what he was forgiven. And yet he's out there going up to this guy, seizing him and choking him, putting his hands on him. Pay what you owe. Something wasn't connecting in his mind of the grace that he was shown. And yet he's not willing to show anything like that to someone else. Verse 29. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. In this moment, this is a little eerie because this is the exact same statement that he was uttering himself. He had just said this phrase. That should spark something in his mind that he just begged those words to the king. Man, maybe I should be merciful to this guy in the same way that the king was merciful to me, yet it doesn't resonate because there was no heart change. Verse 30, so what does he do? He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And this next verse is a great reminder that someone is always watching when it comes to our sin. Our sin will always be brought into the light. Verse 31, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master, that is the king, all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should 
not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, which is really in this moment righteous anger over injustice, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Remember, his debt, impossible to pay off. 200,000 years, year, 200, years of work, that debt was wiped away. But now it's back on him. He's in jail and he can't earn money because he's behind bars. This is a lifetime punishment and eternal punishment. And I want you to see this last verse as we read it slowly. Here is Jesus' closing line in this parable, and it is a sobering statement. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. If you've truly seen your massive debt of sin, my massive debt of sin, wiped away, that should propel me to forgive others. That should make it easier to cancel the debt that others seemingly in my brain owe me. If you are not able to forgive others, you may not have truly comprehended what Jesus Christ endured for you on the cross. So why forgive people? Because forgiven people forgive people. In this moment, Jesus is using this dramatic illustration here of the massive debt that we owe because of our sins to a holy and perfect God. And there are two central points of this parable. The why, why should we forgive others frequently? Well, first, the gift of salvation is immeasurably great, incalculable in how great salvation is that God has freely given to us. And number two, Unless a person is comparably merciful to others, God's mercy has not had a saving effect upon him. And he will be liable to pay the consequences himself. And I want to get into application because I I really want us to physically do this this week. But before we get into application, I want to list out what forgiveness is not. Because I think at times we get it confused with reconciliation, and yet those two terms are separate. Forgiveness does not mean that trust is immediately restored or that broken relationships are instantly fixed. That's reconciliation. Forgive and forget isn't in the Bible. Forgiveness doesn't excuse them of the pain they caused you, but it does free you from allowing what they did to you to cause you any more pain in the future. Forgiveness releases our need for retaliation because what do we want to do? I got to give it to them, right? I got to get them back. Forgiveness is letting go of that. Releasing our need for retaliation. But forgiveness does not release our need for boundaries. Forgiveness does not mean you put yourself in a situation where they could easily hurt you again. You do not have to be a passive doormat in an abusive situation. 
I want to just look at four verses in Romans chapter 12. They won't be on the screens, but it's Romans 12 verses 18 through 21 because I believe this helps to give us a a, a clear picture of forgiveness and reconciliation. Romans 12 verse 18 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So we stated forgiveness and reconciliation are two separate things, which means, as we see here, if possible, implies that it may not be possible to live peaceably with all. That reconciliation isn't a guarantee when we forgive somebody. Sometimes reconciliation just as impossible because reconciliation is conditional based on the other person's repentance and humility in the restoration process. Reconciliation with an abusive person who is dangerous physically, emotionally, or spiritually may not be feasible. Verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We are not to repay evil for evil. It's not our job to go get vengeance. God says, leave that to me. That's above your pay grade. I got that covered. What I want you to do, Adam, is forgive Leave revenge or getting even to God. Oftentimes when we take revenge into our own hands, we're actually paying twice. We're paying double. Because oftentimes when we take revenge into our own hands, it causes us to sin against them, which will only cause regret for our actions. Forgiveness doesn't unlock the chains on the other person. It actually unlocks the chains or the shackles that are holding us in turmoil because when we are wounded all of a sudden that bitterness kind of creeps in we get skeptical towards hypocritical people and we can start to live a life that is just this low level of anger and frustration towards humans that are made in the image of God so it's application time Uh, Tyler Valine called me on Thursday asked me if I could preach today. So we don't have anything printed up here for you guys to be able to physically do this. I know there is a blank spot in your notes on the bulletin. If, uh, if you don't want to write it in there, I would urge you to open up a note on your cell phone because we just looked at the word of God. Now we want to do something about it, right? If we don't apply this to our lives, then we're missing out on something. So this is the application time for how do I forgive other people? The first thing to write down, there's four steps. Step one, ask God to help you. Ask God to help you forgive. If we're trying to forgive other people in our own willpower, we're gonna come up short because the human heart is just weak in that regard. And so the first thing we need to do is say, God, this person who wounded me that has held me in chains for years. God, I need your help. I need your help today to forgive. That's step one. Ask God to help you forgive. Step two to write down. 
Write down the name of the person who has hurt you. Write down who has hurt you in that slot, regardless of if they live close to you or far away, regardless of if they're dead or alive. Write down the name of the person who has hurt you. So we got step one, ask God to help you forgive. Step two, write down who has hurt you. Here's step three, answer this question. And you're gonna write down below this. What do they owe you? Or what did they take from you? When they hurt you, when they wounded you, write in this blank, what do they owe you? What did they take from you? Maybe they stole your innocence because you were abused at a young age. Maybe they took money from you and they owe you in that regard. Maybe you think they owe you some gratitude for how much you've helped them or served them in their life. Maybe you think they owe you some respect. Maybe you think they owe you an apology. Write down in that space, what do they owe you or what did they take from you? And here's step four. Write down the feelings associated with what they owe you. How has it impacted your life? Writing down the feelings associated with what they owe you. How has it impacted your life? Maybe it has caused bouts of depression. Maybe it's given you an inability to focus when you're at work. Maybe it's caused fits of rage that you take out on your children. Maybe it's caused you to be cynical towards others. Maybe it's caused you to be lonely from simply pulling back from society because you don't want to be hurt again. Maybe it's caused you to feel hopeless. Write down the feelings associated with what they owe you. So, what you have in your bulletin, those are your four steps, what you have right there or on your cell phone notepad, you have a debt ledger. That's what the king had. The king made a debt ledger he wrote down what this guy owed him for sure. What you have there is a debt ledger. You have written down what this person, you feel they owe you. And you have two options in this moment of what to do with that debt ledger. Maybe you can take that piece of paper, you can stick it on your fridge next to your kid's art. And you can show it to everybody when they come over. Look what Joe owes me. He was really rude to me. This is the debt that Joe owes me. You can do that. I wouldn't advise you to do that. A better option of what to do with that debt ledger is to rip it up into really small pieces. Rip that debt ledger up. Maybe you want to take that debt ledger and bury it in your backyard. You can put that thing to death never to be seen again, canceling that debt that you think that person owes you. Or you can do what I did. This was very therapeutic, uh, working through this passage. Uh, what I did is I wrote out my debt ledger of what uh, I felt was owed to me, and I went out to my, my fire pit, stuck it in my fire pit, and I lit it. I watched it burn into ashes, and then I picked up the fire pit, and I flung it in the air, 
to watch the ashes kind of float away. Because in that moment, I'm canceling that debt. I'm saying, God, I forgive this person and they don't owe me anymore. Building a court case for why you're right won't help to heal you. I think sometimes we think it will, but it won't. Taking this debt ledger and rubbing it in that person's face isn't going to heal you. In the words of the great theologian, Queen Elsa, let it go. Preach, brother. Take that debt ledger and let it go. Burn it, destroy it, bury it. Jesus instructs us to forgive. The healing of our hurt isn't contingent on whether the other person admits to or owns any of the wrong they have done. If you wait for that, you are being held hostage and waiting for an apology you may never ever get. Next time you encounter them, if you do, and it comes up, you can tell them, you don't owe me anymore. Christ forgave me much. I have forgiven you. I've already canceled the debt. And so in this moment, when we step into forgiveness, God is offering you a deal. You give up the right for the one that hurt you to pay you back or be made to suffer for what they've done. You allow God to handle it, even if you never see it firsthand. You may not see God deal with them in this lifetime, but that's out of your control. In that moment, you give that over to God. You give up the right for the one that hurt you to pay you back. And in exchange, you get the freedom to move on, lighter, and to be used by the Lord in a much different way than a disgruntled Christian who feels offended all the time. Maybe this morning you're still kind of working through this and processing this. And it's really hard to get over feeling offended by this person. Understand that nobody has been more offended than God. Yet he was still willing to overlook our offenses and offer his own son to pay the massive debt for our sins. This week... It is the time to forgive someone or some people who you have bitterly resented for far too long. Forgive someone who you've wrestled with in your head for far too long. Let go of those shackles. God has given you a freedom to move on. And I fully believe this could massively impact how God uses you and bears fruit through you in 2022. Let's pray. Father God, oh, this is hard. Forgiving those who hurt us is really difficult. And so God, we ask for your help. God, we need your help in this process. God, give us the humility to forgive those who hurt us. God, it is easy for us to want to take revenge into our own hands and make sure everybody gets it that deserves it. But God, you've called us to leave that to you. 
So God, help us to do our part. God, help us to forgive others freely and frequently. God, help us to understand the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. God, help us to live peaceably, if possible, with all. And God, as we look at the cross of Jesus Christ, and we see the massive debt that he canceled for us, God, I pray that we would not just take that for granted or get used to hearing that, but I pray that that would still stir our souls that that massive debt of our sin was wiped away and wiped clean. Lord, we love you. We know that we cannot repay you for the grace you've given to us. And the beauty in that is we don't need to. So God, this morning I pray that we would lift your name up on high as we continue in worship, that we would give you much glory and that as we look at the cross and how our sins in that massive debt was forgiven, that it would propel us to live differently, live differently than the rest of our culture. Lord, we love you. It is in your son's name we pray. Amen.